Hello and welcome to this latest installment of the world's only Star Wars podcast produced by Gen X for Gen X. Uh, remember that running bit? That was a fun one. It's Thronderdome, and I am your insufferable host, Dr. Daniel Dottie. With me as always, the eminently sufferable, the, the wise grasshopper to my profligate ant. Wait, no, I got that backwards. The, the, the wise ant to my profligate grasshopper, Ronnie Gardaki. Ronnie, how are you? MF can't even get his bug comparisons correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my, I honestly, my, my head's a little scrambled. Uh, yeah, right yeah. Now. Why don't we, why don't we talk about uh, how maybe instead of uh, what was the word you used, uh, insufferable host, maybe a uh, waterlogged host is a better <laughs> uh, descriptor for you this week. Floodwater swollen host. Yeah, so we've actually had to push back recording for a few days. I don't think it will affect release schedule, but it definitely kind of threw a wrench in the way we do stuff because uh, a pipe exploded at my work right next to my office and flooded the entire first floor of the library. <laughs> Look, if I know anything about podcast listeners, is that they love it when the hosts go on for like 10 to 15 minutes about barely relevant things going on in their personal lives. <laughs> I, they really love it when podcast hosts complain about their day job. Um, but this is actually relevant to the show because... That's why I said barely oh, relevant. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, uh, it is It is barely relevant. So it was a whole mess. It's been something we've been scrambling, dealing with it for the last few days. Um, you know, we're all stepping up, stepping up to it, but the library building itself is going to be off limits to the public for the basically the entire summer, which is a huge bummer because, of course, summer reading is, is, is a big deal. But even more importantly than, really, I think even sadder than all the poor children who are going to see their uh, lexical skills uh, decline over the summer without the support of the library. Uh, just kidding. We're going to have like a, a remote satellite location to help them out. But even sadder than that is the fate of a, a box, of, an amazing collection of Star Wars novels 90s Star Wars novels, you know, uh, old EU stuff, sent in by listener Steven. It was a beautiful, wonderful gift, chock full of goodies we are going to get to on the show after we're done with the Thrawn trilogy for sure. But it happened to be in a box sitting on the floor of my office. And that also happened to be the place that got really totally fucked right away. Um, so sadly, a number of those books didn't make it. But... In Sounds like you didn't cherish those books enough to store them in a proper place. Well, they were living there until I could find a proper space for them. And I, I am deeply sorry that I, I, I my, my grasshopper-like indigence uh, ended up destroying some of these books. But most of them survived. Most of them did very well. Like the stacked higher in the books where the water didn't reach them. Most importantly, of course, uh, Kevin J. Anderson's Jedi Academy trilogy came through unscathed. So we're all happy for that. Uh, but boy, howdy, it has been a weird last few days for me. Because um, <laughs> Ronnie can attest, I've been kind of like, I've been a little addled by all this. Which I think is great because that puts me in a mind to really appreciate all of the Kabeoff scenes we get in this section of Dark Force Rising. The second volume in the Thrawn trilogy. And today we are going to be recapping for you, the listener, chapters 13, 14, and 15. We're really... We're really in it now. We are in the in the depths of this thing. We are up in its guts, almost halfway through. Uh, Before we move on to the uh, discussion of the book, I just wanted to 
to impart the image I have in my head of Daniel uh, constructing a quasi Noah's Ark in which he took two of every every uh, book from every decimal of the Dewey system. <laughs> That's actually that's not that's not too far off. That's not too far off. Actually, honestly, like thank goodness, it, 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 it's kind of like that movie Evan Almighty, only less ill-advised. <laughs> thank, thank you for, remember, for remember that. Remember that box office failure, folks. Boy, I do. It really uh, what launched Steve Carell's career. You know, he did uh, Dan in Real Life after that. That other huge smash, and uh, and Welcome to Marwen. <laughs> Boy, his his film career. Uh, talk, talk about a uh, talk about a dark force rising. Ooh, hey, and w- what a wonderful segue into the meat of the show, folks. It's chapter thirteen. If you recall, last time Ronnie and I were a little down in the dumps about what we had gotten ourselves into, because uh, we just did not have a good time. I, I think I recall calling the book dog shit that I, I believe, didn't want to read more of. I believe so, but we. I feel like it, it got its groove back a little bit this time. So uh, so hang with us as we, uh, unfortunately, actually jump right back into the least compelling plot element, <laughs> Leia on the Nogri planet. Um, so we left off with a cliffhanger about after all the nervous you know meeting with Thrawn, he went away, and now he's coming back. And uh, we'll, I guess we'll talk a little bit later about I have some structural issues with all this, but... Us, Off uh, the air, I, I don't remember if I brought it up last uh, episode, but I'm getting real uh, similarities between uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn and uh, Colonel Clink from Hogan's Heroes, <laughs> who, which, if you yes. haven't seen the classic Prisoner of War camp uh, comedy, uh, Colonel Clink was a, 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 ta- a harsh taskmaster, but also... Very ineffectual in light of uh, Hogan and his friends' uh, shenanigans in the prisoner of war camp, and 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 Thrawn has that same sort of genesequa uh, as it pertains to 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 having an outsized sense of uh, frustration at uh, at the the jokers that are bedeviling him throughout this book. He really is susceptible to cheap chicanery. He will fall for it every time. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn does have a certain resemblance to uh, to really America's favorite Nazi commandant, Colonel Clank. <laughs> what a weird idea! Which for a really sitcom. just made me think that maybe <laughs> Poleon should should adopt the catchphrase "I saw nothing." Oh, that's right. You go full Sergeant to, uh, to Schultz fit with uh, Sergeant Schultz. Yeah. Yes. Oh boy! <laughs> See, this is what this is what people uh, come to listen to. Uh, Ronnie and Daniel reminiscing about about Hogan's Heroes. Exactly the uh, the the sitcom from fifty sixty years ago, set in a Nazi prison camp, made by a pervert. Hogan's Heroes, everybody. Uh, <laughs> uh, Hogan's Heroes. The the we saw Stalag seventeen and thought, what if we gave it less stakes? <laughs> But anyway, this is not a... I'm sure there's a Hogan's Heroes podcast out there. Y'all can listen to that one. This is a, a Luke's Heroes podcast. Uh, so we, we pick back up with Leia, uh, exactly where we left off with last week's cliffhanger. Uh, she's shocked that the Grand Admiral is coming back so soon. And they don't really have any time to to haul over to the, the bakehouse like last time. They're, they're in the Dukkha, the, the kind of the main building in the village, the big circle building. 
Um, and Leia spots a kind of cabinet or closet type thing at the back and reasons that they, okay, well, they can get in that and then she can do her old cut a hole in it routine with a lightsaber and they can escape out the back. But uh, then they hear the whine of scimitar assault bombers overhead and realize, like, well, no, they'd be spotted instantly. So their only choice is to hide in the closet like some sort of low-rent sex farce is the note I have. Um, There's no room for 3PO, though, in there. So in a bit of quick thinking, I don't know if we mentioned this in the description we made of the Dukkha, but uh, hanging from the ceiling of the Dukkha is a large metal circle uh, punched through with holes that represent the constellations. Um, so in a bit of quick thinking, uh, and also not incompatible with a sex farce, Chewie picks up C-3PO, uses his big old claws to climb up the, uh, the ceiling and just hucks him into the decorative star, vi- star dish hanging in the middle of the room. He gets back down, Leia and Chewie cram into the closet just in time for the doors to burst open. And uh, they hear a cool voice wish the Matroc and uh, Kabarak a good morning. Leia shivers at the weight of authority in the voice. It could only be a Grand Admiral. Again, like this mythological importance of Grand Admirals. Um, Leia gets a glimpse of Thrawn and it confirms Han's description. There's a kind of a, 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 a note, there's a, a sort of an aside here where like, Leia also kind of didn't believe Han when he said that he saw a Grand Admiral and it was an alien. But now she's like, oh, okay, all right, I, you know, Han, Han was right. Well, um, think of it this way. Imagine, imagine if you uh, told your wife that you had met a Grand Admiral. There's like, <laughs> she would probably not believe you. She wouldn't. She would. You know, she would be wondering like, is that like a a term they have for like some certain type of special guy around town? Is this is this a local character you know who calls himself the Grand Admiral, but he just stakes out on a street corner most nights? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Karabak gives Thrawn a little bit of the business. Uh, so, cause Thrawn is like, you know, the matriarch is like, oh, we are honored by your visit. And Thrawn says, thank you. And you, Karabak clan Kimbar, are you also pleased at my presence here? And Karabak shoots back with, of course, my lord, why should I not be? Which <laughs> apparently is like, ooh. Um, that's, that's not really what, uh, the kind of attitude Thrawn wants to hear. So he rakes him over the coals a little bit and ends up asking, uh, what is the Nogri penalty for lying to the Lord of your overclan? Is it death as it was in the old days? Or do the Nogri no longer prize such outdated concepts as honor? Just really, I I had a problem with this because I mean, I like to think that Western society has some semblance of honor, but I don't see how that's like. One to one, like death penalty. Uh, like, <laughs> I don't think it's like, I don't think to myself, oh, that guy just got uh, sentenced to life in prison for uh, murdering his girlfriend. Uh, uh, such a dishonorable outcome. I really wish he had gotten the guillotine. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the idea is that, like, it used to be the Nogri were serious about their, their, their code or whatever. He, he's, he's just, he's and- needling them. And this may be specious, but I really don't care about the Nogri customs. <laughs> I'm pretty tired of them as well, but, you know, this is the life we chose. Uh, like, throws... literally the most interesting about the interesting thing about the Nogri is, like, the fucking uh, author note we had uh, <laughs> last, last season about how they were originally, like, 
Darth Vader masked face little guys. Right, right. Which <laughs> is, is still still how I picture them, by the way. No, I mean that was a head. perfect. Yeah, that was. I'm so glad we read that note because I could finally form a, a thought picture of the Nogri. Like it, it finally made sense. Um, it said they're just like great jerks and 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 like uh, this may surprise listeners, but uh, a an alien society obsessed with with the uh, strange concepts of honor mm-hmm. kind of been done before. <laughs> Yeah, not really. Uh, I wouldn't call that. You fresh might have. Ground. You might even say have been done before to the point of exhaustion. You might even say a number of science fiction franchises have done more than one of those to death in the same setting. Perhaps uh, you know if you're familiar with your Klingons and your Romulans. Um, yeah, this might be a bit uh, vulgar for this uh, for this fucking show, but I, I would I would like it if we uh, rechristened the. No agree. The shitty Klingons. <laughs> the, well, they're as much as the Ewoks are to Wookies, the No Gree are to Klingons. I think we can safely say the 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 half pint uh, uh, bargain bargain variety. <clears throat> but but, but anyway. so much of this is like classic Hogan's heroes because like we're constantly in fear that uh, that Thrawn is going to discover Leia, and it's like just just the equivalent of like. Is Clint going to find out that they created a radio out of the coffee pot? Yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm surprised there wasn't a bit where, like, uh, they're, sh- they're kind of squ- squirming around in the closet and uh, Chewie accidentally steps on Leia's toe and she has to, like, hold her hand over her mouth so she doesn't yell. <laughs> it's kind of the, the level that we're working at here because they're hiding in this closet and peeking out to see what's Honestly, happening. Honestly, this, this book could use more slapstick. I agree. It had it was on the right it was on the right track when uh, Chewie just hucked C three PO up into the chandelier and then turned on a, turned off his on switch. That was pretty good, but then they back away from it. Um, but yeah, a lot of this chapter is a lot of like ponderous uh, like uh, twisting of no Greek customs and traditions because well, it's yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a jurisdiction dispute. <laughs> yeah, it, that famously it's, it's riveting. Really weird, because uh, like uh, the the son, uh, what's his name, Cabarath? Uh, yeah, Cabarak, uh, like, Carabak, Cabarak, what Cabaret, whatever. <laughs> uh, Thrawn wants to take him uh, into imperial custody, whereas the matriarch is like, well, no, that's uh, in violation of no Greek custom and uh and uh and it's like a no Greek accused of treason to the over clan must be given over to the clan dynast for the ancient rules of discovery and judgment it is the law and then Thrawn correctly points out I'm not bound by no Greek law so, so it's, it becomes this really ponderous like you like Ah, yes. Well, this may be state law, but uh, federal law supersedes it. <laughs> right. You see, the crime occurred in unincorporated county lands. So, right. It's, but, uh... So I just yeah. waited for, like, fucking Nogri Jack McCoy to, like, take out a belt of scotch and, like, uh... This is the District Attorney Office of Space. We prosecute <laughs> offenders. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Thrawn kind of puts it into all that nonsense, uh, 
when sort of in the middle of this argument, he, he Thrawn decides she needs to be reminded of what it means to defy the Empire. And uh, he ordered, he apparently had arranged a, uh, a turbo laser strike from the Chimera and into the forest close by the village, close enough that it was like if they got struck by lightning, it, it lights up the whole dukkha and dazzles everyone's eyes. And then there's a thunderclap, like a, like a horrible storm. Uh, and he says, I am the law on Honogur now, Matrok. He said, his voice quiet and deadly. If I choose to follow the ancient laws, I will follow them. If I choose to ignore them, they will be ignored. Is that clear? So the, the matriarch accedes, and in classic Thrawn fashion, he changes his tune a little bit and offers a little carrot, in addition to the gigantic stick he just wielded about. Uh, and he agrees that before Karabakh is taken up to the Chimera to be interrogated, he will allow for the first stage of ancient laws of discovery to take place at the, uh, the capital town. Um, Leia wonders what the heck those are. Uh, Rook marches Karabakh off, uh, Karabakh off. Uh, Thrawn is close behind after a brief back and forth with the Matruk, and they, they, both, uh, they both exit. Uh, and then that leaves us, we leave the chapter with Leia and Chewie still trapped in the closet and C-3PO in the chandelier. I, I do like how in classic Colonel Clink fashion, uh, Thrawn assesses the situation and comes to a wildly incorrect conclusion because yes. his his belief is that Cabaret has had been in the custody of the Wookiees for a month and has become some sort of Manchurian candidate at worst and an informant at best. Whereas the truth is something much dumber. <laughs> but not that. <laughs> but not that. So I guess we'll see. The tension is there is like, how, you know, how long is it going to take Thrawn to realize he's he's been led down the primrose path by his own impeccable logic? I guess we shall. We shall see, see what I've been saying about how Thrawn is getting dumber with each chapter. Yeah. Uh, maybe he'll turn or maybe around. Maybe not dumber, but more gullible. Right. He Well, he, he, he's gotten the wrong end of the stick way a lot more often in this book than he did in the last one like he may like in the last book yeah he may not have known always what was going on exactly but he had his suspicions but very rarely was he basing his actions on a totally incorrect misapprehension which here that's all he's doing so it kind of does cut against his character a little bit but you know maybe that's I, part of it it's it's, it's a way if to i'm kinda... doing if i'm doing some uh uh kremlinology for zon my mm-hmm. thinking is that he received complaints that, like, Thrawn was too competent in the first book, and it's mm-hmm. like, how could how could the good guys actually beat him? So he kind of course-corrected the character a bit and had to make a few more, like, false assumptions and mistakes in order to make it credible that uh, Luke and Leia and the like would be able to, you know, defeat him head-to-head or... Or even like through subterfuge. Yeah, yeah. It seems like they. It seems like he rejiggered the character to, to make it so it's more plausible that the good guys stand a chance against him. Because <laughs> That's true. Because look, was, look, up, look pretty, at my good guys. He was, pretty, he was pretty overpowered in the first book, to be honest. And that's fair. That's fair. And uh, yeah, I, I I think you're right. I think maybe he kind of, even though surely most of this was already written. I would think, but I, the... but I also feel like there's ways to like make give him flaws or have him make errors in judgment without him, say, <laughs> resembling a beloved uh, '50s uh, sitcom Nazi. 
There may be other ways. Tim chose this way, and we we trust him. Much as much as Timothy Zahn trusts the reader to know what a scimitar assault bomber looks like, uh, I I will trust Timothy Zahn. And, and now we come to chapter fourteen, uh, which is subtitled Ronnie's favorite chapter. This one so that I I figured you would have a lot of fun with this one, and it starts off with just a bang. And I I want to read the whole first paragraph because yes, it's something because if you if you didn't i was going to it is something i've never encountered before so we'll let's just take a look <clears throat> chapter 14 one of the first minor truths about interstellar flight that any observant traveler learned was that on at a planet seen from space almost never looked anything at all like the official maps of it Scatterings of cloud cover, shadows from mountain ranges, contour-altering effects of large vegetation tracts, and lighting tricks in general all combined to disguise and distort the nice, clean, computer-scrubbed lines drawn by the cartographers. It was an effect that had probably caused a lot of bad moments for neophyte navigators, as well as supplying the ammunition for innumerable practical jokes played on those same neophytes by their more experienced shipmates. It was therefore something of a surprise to find that, on this particular day and coming in from this particular angle, the major continent of the planet Jomark did indeed look almost exactly like a precisely detailed map. <laughs> what the fuck? I call this. And that was followed up by the equally ponderous uh, single sense of somewhere on that picture perfect continent was a Jedi Master. I... And I come back. I come back to this pretty often when I'm reading Zon, but the the question that clanged in my head as I read this was, why would you include that? Why include that? This is the this is the first instance I have in my notes. Shaggy Dog info dump. This is <laughs> in all my years of reading science fiction. This is the first time we've had like this info dump that also ends up being. But that's not what's going on. <laughs> like what? It, it, remind, it reminds me of that great scene in The Big Lebowski when uh, Walter is going on about how, like, in in certain uh, areas, like, aquatic wildlife, aquatic mammals, like, you can't keep them in domestic settings. It's like, and then, and then the dude just goes, what are you, a fucking park ranger now? <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you, a cartographer now, Timothy? <laughs> It's just, a, you know, it was the kind of thing that, like, he, as a reader, had it stuck in his craw, you know, where he was just like, oh, pff, oh these these star charts sure are accurate. I bet there would be, it wouldn't look anything like that if you actually were there. You have to think but that... But it turns the, out uh, Joe Mark looks exactly like that. But it turns out Joe Mark, though. Joe Mark looked exactly like that. What a weird thing to throw into your book. It's like a bad, like, 80s uh, observational comedy routine, like... <laughs> You ever notice how, like, uh, you're, you're the burgers? In the, in... You ever notice how the burgers and the commercials never look like they do in real life? <laughs> well, in this case, one does for some reason. <laughs> that's that's a very apt comparison. Um, so uh, after all this waste of time, uh, Luke has R two D two perform some scans to locate the major population centers, and and here was an instance I thought that Luke had like kind of Thrawn powers because he doesn't know anything about Joe Marks. He scans for some major population centers. He sees a few crop up around the coasts mostly, Uh, but then he spots a modest population center at the shore of a ring shaped lake with a mountain at its center and thinks to himself, Hmm, that's the kind of place a Jedi master would go. (laughs) So he goes. (laughs) I I like before this, uh, his first attempt at communication 
just fails miserably because he goes, uh, in like sort of, I guess, psychic speech, he says, this is Luke Skywalker. Can you hear me? And then it, it goes along. There was no response. Either Luke wasn't doing it right, or Kabath was unable to reply because, I don't know, he was in the tub or something. Or else this was a deliberate test of Luke's ability. So it's like, okay, either Luke fucked it up, or Kabath yeah. is, has, like, his aim away message on. <laughs> or... It's got, some, it's got some My Chemical Romance lyrics. <laughs> or it's like, he's testing, he's testing Luke by, by, uh... By uh, ghosting him, yeah, yeah, those are the uh, yeah all the all the options. Dude, like uh, George Cabanth is like a, a a number one pickup artist in this chapter because he's got it all <laughs> down pat. He ghosts, he nags. He's really got. A, he's peacocking. We'll, yeah. we'll get to when he's peacocking. Um, Again, favorite chapter of the book by far. This 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 one's firing on all cylinders. Uh, so they they land at a uh, just outside the the courtyard, the small courtyard of this uh, of this mansion, and um, we just I know we got to read the description here. Standing just outside the gate, watching them was the figure of a man. Luke gazed at him, uh, heart starting to beat a little harder. The man was old, obviously. The gray white hair and long beard that the mountain winds were blowing half across his lined face were evidence enough of that. But his eyes were keenly alert, his posture straight and proud, and unaffected by even the harder gusts of wind. And the half-open brown robe revealed a chest that was strongly muscled. When I came across that passage, I said to you at Trailer Park Boys, uh, image reaction of Bubbles going, that's an odd thing to say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is a little... It's uncharacteristically lusty of Timothy Zahn's prose. I don't know if he's ever been that horny so far in all this. It's uh, Which is surprising considering uh, the the grand tradition of sci-fi authors being unbearably horny. Yeah, well, I guess, do we forget Mara Jade so quickly? I mean, but, but he, she's I don't always... know. She seems like a, a sexless guy's idea yeah. of, like, attractive. That's like, true. See, here's the thing about sci-fi authors. They're either like <laughs> like beautifully sexless or they're unbearably horny. There's yes. never like there's never like anyone with the normal like conception of sexuality. And sometimes you get uh, you get the the awful combination like Isaac Asimov. Uh he was known to be a real sex pest at conventions and shit. Uh but also like god, you know, look at him. It's awful. <laughs> um anyway, uh, think about that the next time you watch Foundation, everybody. And I hope you feel bad. Uh, well, I'm burning my Blu-ray of iRobot as we speak. <laughs> no more, no more Will Smith and Alan Tudyk the robot for me. I am, uh, I am rescinding my qualified. It was okay and kind of interesting for the 1988 quasi adaptation of his short story Nightfall. Uh, <laughs> when, when, but which is interesting because it was filmed at an uh, a, a experimental arch, uh, architectural arcology, uh, kind of one of those intentional communities, which was also designed by a sex pest. Uh, so I don't know, maybe that's the, the real connection there. Anyway, enough about Isaac Asimov. We're here to talk about Timothy Zahn's more like Isaac Asimov. Yeah, oh. but let's get back to uh, Timothy Zahn's vision of a roided out Alzheimer's guy. Uh, so 
<laughs> Luke introduces himself. I mean, this is really just this is gold right off the bat. As uh, Luke introduces himself, Master Kabeoth, he said, bowing his head slightly. I'm Luke Skywalker. The other smiled faintly. Yes, he said. I know. <laughs> Welcome to Joe Mark. I just like saying, like, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, he then passively aggressively chides Luke for being late. But Luke excuses himself, saying that it was because of circumstances that were rather out of my control. And Kabeoth is like, why are you, as a Jedi, not always in control? So he's staking out his vision of what it means to be a Jedi right away. Um, and Luke kind of thinks to himself, the other, only other Jedi master he'd ever known had been Yoda. But Yoda never talked like this. Yeah, and I'm just Yoda- thinking to myself, like, yeah, like, this guy might seem a bit off, but you're comparing him to a mischievous puppet. Who talked backwards. <laughs> do, you think, do you think if, uh, you think if Kabeoth had said, um, uh, of yourself in control you should be always, then he would, he would have, like, jived with it more? I would love it if all Jedi Masters had, like, a really irritating way of talking, like if Kabeoth only spoke in pig Latin. <laughs> And like, and yeah, and like Darth Sidious only used uh, wor- uh, words that don't have the letter E in them. Cockney rhyming slang. <laughs> <laughs> no, and see, he... that's that's part of when you become a Jedi Master. You you uh, adopt an imperceptible uh, manner of speaking. Absolutely, that's that that's the dividing line. That's that's why Obi Wan never attained master status. Like if Obi Wan had just graduated to master, he would have been speaking solely in haikus the rest of his goddamn life. <laughs> if, uh, I think when 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 Luke achieves Jedi master status, he's going to start talking in Donald Duck voice. <laughs> Here, here's my question uh, about this chapter broadly. Does Timothy Zahn know how funny this chapter is? Because <laughs> I, I kind of I, I I go back and forth on it because like some of it is so deliciously deadpan that I have to believe that he knows that that there's like a dark undercurrent of comedy to this. But yeah. the other part of me is like well, this is the Timothy Zahn that wrote the rest of the book, so he can't right. be that given, self-aware. Given everything else we know about the man and his writing, I can't, I can't take that step to think he he knew it was as funny as it is. But it is very funny, and the only thing I can think is that like, I think it hits like it does, and it's as funny as it is to us because I think, much like he zagged with Thrawn where Darth Vader zigged, as we've talked about at length. I think his he had in mind here, like, okay, what would be like the opposite of an of Luke's encounter with Yoda, right? Because Yoda was always telling him to chill out and you know be cool and whatever, and just let the Force wash over you. So, what would be the opposite of that? I know a high, strong, confused old man who <laughs> really loves bossing people around. Well, it's it's sort of like how if you look at the original Star Wars, which I actually watched. Uh pretty recently like Alan Guinness is playing uh Ben Kenobi as like a little bit odd this is like uh, ramping up the oddness to 11 yeah and yeah but it's like yeah. uh, and and you see a lot of this in like Luke's interior monologue where he's like well you know I've only met two Jedi really other than the dark Jedi which were obviously evil guys and you know Ben was kind of off, but he wasn't this off. Right. 
Yoda and, was, and I, was... And, and this is like... A, a, I, I would say if they were giving titles to the chapters, this would be titled The Insane Leading the Dumb. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> because it reminds me... Because it reminds me of... Uh, and always saw in Philadelphia joke where Charlie comes up with this with a really insane conception of what uh, burning trash does. He creates stars, and it's like, right, right. And then Matt goes, uh, "That sounds wrong, but I don't know enough about science to uh, <laughs> dismiss it." Yeah. <laughs> so, so much of this is like George Cabot saying insane shit, and and Luke being like, uh, "This sounds." patchy but i don't really know enough about any of this to say that's wrong like i can't compare it to like anything else so i guess this is jedi stuff yeah they um they talk a little bit about the emperor and darth vader and uh has one of his little episodes that uh gets luke worrying because he like he like broke off um and uh there's a uh, there's a moment where um you know, he's, he's asking Luke, like, what do you want? And and Luke kind of talks about his commitment to helping build up the Republic. Kibayoth, you know, dismisses that with a sneer, saying such things are beneath the concerns of Jedi. But he presses Luke about, like, okay, these twins, what are they going to need? And Luke explains that, well, they're going to need a teacher if they, if they do have Jedi capability. And he would like some background about Jedi training because he's worried about, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi blamed himself for Anakin's turn to the dark side. And he, he worries that... Perhaps he would be in a similar situation to Obi-Wan, which Kabayoth immediately shoots back with a waste of time. Bring them here. I'll teach them myself. And, and Luke says, yes, master, I appreciate the offer. But as you said, you have your own work to do. All I really need are some pointers. <laughs> some the pointers? word pointer should never be in Star Wars. <laughs> but, I so wanna, I, but I want to... But I want to go back like a, a page and a half to okay. speaking of the twins. Because... <clears throat> yeah. Uh, because Kabayath, like, just out of nowhere says, Your sister, she'll be giving birth to Jedi twins soon. Uh, and then Luke goes, Potential Jedi, anyway. A little surprised that Kabayath had heard about Leia's pregnancy. The New Republic's publicist had given the news wide dissemination. Oh, and, God, that's like, right. <laughs> I, just, I just wondered, like, is there, like, some fucking New Republic version of TMZ? Like, guess who's pregnant? <laughs> Well, it must be. It must be. That's but, where. But we, that's, then, like the final part of that sentence is, but he'd have thought Joe Mark too far out of the mainstream would have picked up on it. Well, that. But we know. But we know that Joe Mark is in the 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 gossip circle because Wedge heard about it. Oh, I bet Wedge writes that that newspaper column, the, <laughs> the gossip column about who's pregnant, <laughs> who's getting divorced. God, Wedge is the, the Star Wars equivalent <laughs> of that fucking TMZ guy with the tight T-shirt. Oh yes. Oh man, wedge the gossip monger. Uh, but yeah, so I, I do love the idea that the the difference between making twin Darth Vaders and not is picking up a few pointers. As these some tips. Um, there's a few more pages of this that kind of run together uh, for me a little bit, and uh, but uh, Luke has this notion, and this again comes back to a uh, a hobby horse of Zons that we have noticed before. Um, Luke starts getting. An idea. Uh, sorry, they, they've 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 like looks like talking with R two D two before he and Kabayoth, uh head down to town. Um, oh man, this is great. 
Yeah. Well, but he's uh, one thing I want to mention before we get to the the scene in town um, is that he Luke has this theory that uh, Kabeath was able to avoid being exterminated by the Emperor and by Darth Vader uh, by there being some sort of like dark side zone that distorted the Force, just like the twisted tree growing over the dark side cave on Dagobah. And this is again, this is like what the fourth time that has come up in these books that is so funny that Timothy Zahn thinks that's one of the central things of star Wars. I just do not get it. But can we talk about how we finally found someone who hates droids more than Timothy Zahn does? And his oh, name yeah. is Joris Kabaoth. That's right. Yeah. Cause Luke, Luke wants to bring R2D2 with him on uh, his, his, uh, his, his uh, driving, driving Mr. Kabaoth. Uh, and and he goes and Kabeath goes he will stay where he is droids are an abomination creations that reason but yet are not genuinely part of the force Luke frowned <laughs> droids were indeed unique in that way but that was hardly reason to label them as abominations it's like R2-D2 <laughs> is arguably your closest confidant and you're like yeah Makes a point, but I wouldn't say they're abominations. <laughs> Just really throwing R2 under the bus. Like, but, if I'm R2-D2, I would be re-examining my, uh, my relationship and, and, with and this and guy. Kabeoth coming off as, like, an insane old man. He also comes, like, one of those new age guys who, like, just dismisses everything that's, like, material. It's like, oh man, it's not part of nature's balance, man. Like, <laughs> right. He's like a, a, a pseudo-Luddite. He doesn't trust technology because it's not part of the Force or whatever. Yeah. And then and then there's like a couple pages in this uh, where like Luke is trying to discern what exactly the Force fucking is, which is kind of funny. Because <laughs> it's like, I, well, Lucasfilm also doesn't really know what the Force is, so... Yeah, kind of so, up shit, up shit creek without a paddle there too. Yeah, good good luck everybody uh, figuring that out. Um, but yeah, oh, Kabeoth, I know, midichlorians. There Genius. we go. We love it. You done it again, George. Um, so Kabeoth bids Luke to join him in in going down to town to dispense some justice. He's going to teach Luke about justice. So they take the, the, yeah, the wheeled carriage being pulled by speeder bike, which was built for the dark Jedi master by the local sycophants. It just seems like every, like, is just everyone in a town in Star Wars, like a dumb bootlicker who's just ready to bow down before whatever di- Jedi shows up? I thought the up? direction the, I thought the direction the chapter was going to go, it doesn't really go that way, is remember the Twilight Zone about the, uh, the kid who could, like, wish people into the cornfield? yeah. So, like, everyone in town is, like, sort of the perpetually grinning is like, oh, that's right. a great idea, kid. Uh, yeah, we should do that. Yeah, happy uh, thoughts, happy and, thoughts. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Just think of that Simpsons Treehouse of Horror parody. <laughs> I think it was in uh, uh, Treehouse of Horror 3. I believe so, yes. Uh, Homer the, I gets think turned that's... into a jack-in-the-box. Yes. I, I know it's on the same one as uh, King Homer, the King Kong parodies. That's uh, And the uh, zombie, uh, zombie one, Dial Z Zombie. What a, what a good show that was. Um, but we're not here to talk about that. We're not here to talk about that. We'll save that. Hey, we'll that, save that man, for a debate. Yeah. That'll be a classic debate segment. 
We are gonna. We will not be friends after that one. <laughs> we'll save anyway. that for the last episode of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, go you out know, on just a bang. Be safe. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. Luke and Kabayoth make it into town. Luke's making conversation on the way, trying to get a grip on what Kabayoth's doing here. So he, he asks him about when he first arrived after the outbound flight mission. Kabayoth kind of sees right through him. So he asks, oh, are you seeking reassurance? I'm not a devotee of the Emperor. And he, he laughs it off with a literal, you wouldn't think old Joris Kabayoth would turn to the dark side, would you? <laughs> like, just about verbatim. <laughs> I, I do like how Luke will directly ask him, like, how long have you been alone? And it's like, Kabayath goes, I don't know. Time was not something I was really concerned with. I lived, yeah. I thought, I meditated, that was all. Yes. And like, that's <laughs> that's sort of like the classic case of a question that's not the answer you want. Sort of mm -hmm. like, I think in a Deliver the Profile episode, we pointed out that the, the answer to uh, the question, how much have you been drinking, should never be, that's not important. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, uh, so they, they kind of uh, talk a little bit more. Kabayoth shuts him down eventually. Oh, they mention Mara Jade, actually. Like, uh, Doris is like, oh, yes, I felt another out there. And I'm like, oh, yes, I've met her. So they both know about uh, Mara this Jade. Is there. This is actually, credit where it's due, that was actually a pleasant surprise that, like, yeah. Luke just came out and said it instead of, like, being cagey about it and like leaving right. it for like four chapters from now, which yes. I think is the trajectory that would normally be in Dark Force Rising. Because exactly. I think the main problem with Dark Force Rising is it takes really long to like parcel out information. And like yeah. if characters were all on the same page, we would be able to have like rising action as opposed <laughs> to like just fucking Hogan's Hero shenanigans. Milling and around and yeah. Like think about it. It took it took literally half the trilogy for Leia to even see Thrawn. Yeah, yeah. Well, it took it's a it took half the book for Leia to. It took half the book, and we still haven't gotten anywhere really with the Nogri stuff. <laughs> like we're pretty much where we started, uh, but we just know a little more about it. I guess I don't know. Yeah, we know uh, more about their stupid legal system about, about the laws of discovery. So anyway, they they wind up in town after a little bit. After Cabal finally just shuts Luke down, he's just like, "No, I'm not going to tell you about it." After Luke tried to press him more about uh, outbound flight, um, so they they roll up into town. And uh, and Joris Kabayoth kind of like they do a, a force crime scan, basically, and um, like so that Kabayoth detected something in a house, and Luke's like, "Oh yeah, there's some some murderous but, but, feelings but, happening." Before we get to that, I do like this little moment where, like, they come across a what's called a throne-like chair of polished wood protected by a small dome-roofed pavilion, and then yeah. Kabayoth explains. I had brought it down from the high castle. Uh, it it was probably a symbol of authority to to ever carved it. And Luke just goes, "Well, what's it used for now?" Really dumb question. It's like, <laughs> and then the command's like, "It's from there that I usually give my justice to the people." It's like, like just such a dumb question. Huh, I wonder what this throne is used for. <laughs> well, so you say it was a symbol of authority, and you brought it here into the middle of town. What do you use it for? 
<laughs> Why would you do let's, that? Let's remind let's remind listeners Luke is canonically not very smart. He's really not. He's really not. He didn't go to uh-huh. space college. He spent most of his life on a moisture farm. He's probably mostly self-taught, honestly. Uh, his yeah. first Jedi Master died in like the course of an afternoon. His second <laughs> Jedi Master was a uh, backwards-talking Muppet, and then after that, like he he had he was, to like yeah. uh, help his father kill his uh, his his dad's boss. <laughs> so really. Exactly. That's yeah. I, I think we're getting to, we're getting some insight into why Admiral Thrawn can't be too smart because Luke Skywalker is going to have to beat him at some point. Um, but, so, but, but you know, but you know, Luke has a lot of uh, you might be a Tuscan Raider if jokes. Ooh, I bet. Um, so uh, Luke and Kabayoth enter this home where they've sent some some murder potentiality happening. Uh, and they, they have a couple guys, Svan and Tarm, are getting in an argument. They both explain themselves. Luke feels like they have two pretty compelling cases here, so we're going to have to really sort this one out. But Kabath just says, all right, Svan, you will pay Tarm all the wages agreed upon now. And Luke's a little confused, like, I thought we were going to draw this out more. This is Dark Force Rising. Surely we should draw this out and have a big stupid thing. Um but no, that's not the way Kabayoth plays it. Svan isn't happy with this, and he starts to pull out a slug thrower, which I guess must be like a, you know, a, a, a gun, a firearm. Uh, but before Luke can even turn on his lightsaber, Kabayoth force lightnings that guy and sends him to the floor writhing in pain and explains to Luke that uh, the only way anyone actually learns is if they will remember the punishment, the lesson. So if they won't remember it, then there's no point to it. So it must be memorable. So that's a little insight into old Kabeos, uh thinking there. They head back up to the castle. Luke takes a moment to talk it through with R2, and he's convinced that Kabeoth is just straight up insane. But his theory as to why Kabeoth is crazy is also insane. Because Luke... I, I do love how, how Luke just matter-of-factly goes, oh yeah, he's just fucking insane. Uh... <laughs> this, this guy is insane. <laughs> Uh, but but Luke's theory so Luke's thinking back to his own experiences with Jedis and how like after Ben Kenobi got got he was able to hear his voice and eventually even see him and, and speak with him as an apparition uh, and then he was able to do likewise with uh, Darth Vader and Yoda at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi he, he, he could see them as apparitions and Luke's theory is that perhaps when Jedi are dying they can sort of anchor their consciousness to a living Jedi for some span of time, which is why Luke could could do all those things. So Luke is now thinking that maybe those five other Jedi on Outward Bound all died in a horrible accident but anchored themselves to Kabeoth, and he's experiencing them as, like, you know, voices in his head or something. So so Luke decides to stay with Kabeoth to I mean, see if he look, can't... look, look, that, that theory, obviously we know it's wrong, but, you know... I don't think it's a bad theory, honestly. Because, yeah. like, just think about all we know about the Jedi, which, uh, based on based on the original trilogy and these books, is pretty limited. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and and from from Luke's vantage point, even more limited still. All he knows is that, like, Ben Kenobi, who died in front of him, was able to, like, leave a few, like, fucking uh, voicemails... Uh, telepathically <laughs> to him 
And then at the end of the fucking Return of the Jedi, he saw a guy who, I guess, looked like his father if his father was never horribly maimed. And Yoda. So he's like, okay, clearly, clearly the Jedi have some form of being able to appear as an apparition after their death and provide some semblance of advice or at least being able to hold conversations. Now, it's not a terrible supposition to think that if uh, five Jedi die uh, in front of somebody, like, you end up with a a King Ghidorah situation where it's, like, multiple heads just bickering with each other and driving Jorah's Gabayoth insane. So I actually thought this was a... (laughs) And frankly, it would have been it would have been a much better idea, or, or rather, an explanation than what the actual explanation is, which is that, oh well, he's a clone, and all clones are crazy, or at least right, all, right. only clones are crazy. <laughs> right. It's already been it's already been covered in the text, but there's a little bit of dramatic irony they call it. Uh, but before but before you continue, I just want to point out a scene that I really enjoyed, which. Uh, I'm going to just read the passage. Uh, sure. Uh, so, uh, Luke is saying, I just can't see Ben or Master Yoda acting that way, but he's a Jedi, just like they were. So which example am I supposed to follow? Well, here's a hint, Luke. The follow the guy who's not, like, fucking naming people <laughs> because the business deal's gone wrong. But anyway, yeah. the droids seem to digest that. Then almost reluctantly, he trilled again. That's the obvious question, Luke agreed. Why would a dark Jedi of Kavaya's power bother playing games like this? Why not just kill me and be done with it? R2 gave an electronic grunt, a list of possible reasons <laughs> scrolling across the screen. A rather lengthy <laughs> list. Clearly the droid put a lot of time and thought into the question. <laughs> why would I kill <laughs> Luke Skywalker? <laughs> and, or why would I leave him and, alive? Yeah. And I just wanted... I just wish that there was, like, an illustration of, like, you know... Uh, R2-D2's Letterman top 10 list of why to fuck with Luke Skywalker. <laughs> if you're an insane dark Jedi. If you're an insane dark Jedi, why leave him alive? Top 10 reasons. Uh, well, maybe he sensed that Luke really does want to help him get better. Says uh, Luke, he's not a healer, but, you know, he's going to try to be one here. I guess he's going to try to convince the old man to take his meds. But that's where we leave off Joe Mark, and I agree, the, the best chapter in this section. Although chapter 15 has its its charms, as we'll get to here, and, and a little more I mean, clarity. I, mean, uh, I would say that, I would say that uh, chapter 15 was not a shower, it was a grower, uh, <laughs> in the parlance of our... Uh, of our, uh, uh, our, our disgusting, of, horny of, age. Of penises. Yes, 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 yes. Because um, I, but, I went in thinking like, oh Jesus, it's, uh, it's page after page, and this is a pretty short chapter in my ebook. It's like nine pages. Yeah, uh, I thought it was just going to be fucking exposition from uh, Senator uh, Bernie Iblis, but <laughs> but then it takes a turn that I found most welcome. But before I before I just monopolize this conversation, I'll. Turn it over to you to summarize. Oh, please. Yeah, we'll, we'll kind of summarize and we'll, uh, you know, as always, jump in when uh, something especially pertinent comes up. But chapter 15, we're back with Han and Lando. And they are kicking it in the lounge at Bell Iblis's base. You know, the old senator, while the old man bends their ear with war stories about how his people obliterated a major ubiquitous center 
which is some sort of Imperial Internal Security Force. And I actually, I thought that was a cool touch. I like that name for the uh, the secret police of the Galactic Empire, the Ubiquitrate, because they're ubiquitous. Uh, that was pretty cool. Um, corny, but cool. Uh, they, they got all five warships out under the nose of uh, three Star Destroyers. But Lando points out, hey, you guys have six dreadnoughts. Uh, we had five at the time, says Bell Iblis. <laughs> and Bell Iblis claims to have had 13 base locations in the last seven years uh, that they will use uh, bi-state memory plastic construction on their buildings. So basically, like, they have these buildings that will instantly collapse into the, the IKEA flat pack storage for them to, to move quickly. Um, the bartender uh, around this time brings them a fresh oh, I had round. A, I had a note about that. Uh, when, oh, yeah. when they're discussing about how, you know, they can just, uh, like, flip together everything within three minutes. Like, yeah. Uh, folded them up as neat as a set of birthday presents. And <laughs> I just noted to myself, birthday presents, canon to Star Wars. Canon to Star Wars. They have birthday presents. Boom. Which, hey, wait a minute. What are they wrapping those in? I guess they just give them to them in their original packaging. Ah, disgusting. Because <laughs> we know there's no such thing as paper in Star Wars. Um, all we right. should just do a recurring feature of like what we learned in that set of <laughs> chapters is actually canon in uh, in Star in, Wars. In Star Wars, like, yeah. Just sorts of birds and and birthday presents and such because <laughs> because uh, listeners might remember we're 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 coming from a purist standpoint in which anything that is not uh we do not assume we do not assume anything is in existence in star wars so it has to actually yes. be specifically mentioned in the text or these are these are the, in the rules that the these are the rules that Timothy set out for himself. So we are Which only... is why we don't have paper. Because it was never specifically established <laughs> in the original trilogy. Now you might say to yourself, Wow, that's really short-sighted and stupid, but um, also it's Star Wars, so short-sighted and stupid is baked into the premise. That's how they play it. That's how they play it. Well, one thing I'm glad to know is uh, canon is coming up here. Uh, They're they're having some drinks there. Um, The bartender brings them a fresh round of Twistlers, as Belle Iblis had called them, a blend of Corellian brandy with some unidentified but very tart fruit extract. And I love the idea of, like, the Star Wars Applebee's, like, come on down for our Twistlers, TM. (laughs) Uh but still, it's a fine, I do like a fine how detail. the first the first indication that that Lando has a problem with this uh, this discussion, this like sort of recalling of war stories, is that mm-hmm. uh, Lando is still on his first drink. <laughs> He's nursing that Twistler. He's... His glass is still <laughs> half full. His first glass, Han realized yeah. suddenly, Lando had had a refill in the hour and a half since Bell Evelyn had brought them there. It was like. Wait a minute. Lando's a lush. How could he possibly <laughs> turn down free booze? I, I Something's like the, wrong. I also like the implication that Han has been just throwing back Twistlers this whole time. <laughs> just having a, having a great time. Oh, yeah. I mean, we established, I think, last time that, uh, that Han is a clear Iblis bro. Oh, yeah. He's an, he is definitely an Iblis bro. And, hey, and speaking of uh, Bernie Iblis... Guess who he's trying to tear down? That's right, a powerful woman. 
Uh, <laughs> yep, Mon Mothra herself. That's right. So we, well, we get to that through uh, uh, Lando bringing up Phalia, right? So they're talking about their their whole situation, and they're like, "So what's what is your connection with Phalia?" Or as Lando says uh, verbatim, "Yeah, Phalia. What's your deal with him?" And Bell Iblis says that Phalia helped them out early on by setting up a supply line through New Cove, which is why, despite their uh, kind of you know their wandering main camp. They had a permanent outpost on New Cove to, for that, that supply line. And that's also why the Bothans defended New Cove as hard as they did. They were defending that supply line. Lando wants to know more about what the Bothans expected in return. But before Bell Iblis answers, he wants to know more about what Mon Mothma is up to. Uh, but yeah, her emails. Yeah. Bernie Iblis specifically uh, says, like, uh, I want to know about Mon Mothra's position in the new government and Phalia's relationship to her, and then Han goes, well, it's, it's all in the public record. Uh, that's the yeah, official yeah. version, uh, Bernie Eblis said. I'm asking <laughs> for what things are really like, and it's like, uh, talk to Wedge, dude. He knows all the hot goss. <laughs> that's right. Talk to TMZ Wedge. Also, you said Mon Mothma. He, he, remembers, he remembers when, when Mon Mothma fainted on the uh, Alderaan <laughs> Remembrance Day. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh boy. I like um, how we're getting political. We're getting political about events that happened seven years like ago. Like seven years, right? Yeah, just completely. But I mean, it is it is funny how it, how it lines up a bit with this stuff, which was written thirty years ago. Um, well, but, uh, <laughs> well, all art is is a transmission from the future into the present. <laughs> that's uh, that's very true. I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, Han, Han is kind of taken aback by this, but he assures Bell Iblis that Mothma is committed to creating a republic in fact as well as name, rather than grabbing power for herself. Uh, Bell Iblis admits that Phalia's ideas about all of this are quite self-serving, but that's just Bothans for you. Uh, my note here is Corellians, spacist to a one, question mark? Uh, <laughs> but Lando is not happy about any of this. He pushes Bell Iblis a little hard on how, why he was a no-show for the Rebellion War. Uh, and Iblis points counters by saying, like, look, the, the Alliance, th- this is not my kind of guy. The Alliance was a, a very leaky boat security-wise. They were constantly being, like, you know, their bases being destroyed, like, all over the place because someone, you know, and then he go, And then he, goes like, uh, then he goes, like, even your new Republic has a, has a clear data leak, and Han is sort of defensive like yeah so we're <laughs> looking into it right yeah um but but, but, uh, I, but I i do have a i do have a note like when they're talking about like uh like uh bernie Iblis is insinuating that mon Mata is like trying to seize power and and it's like yeah mon Mata is only trying to like uh create a new government it's like Oh yeah, with her at the at the head of it, it's like I don't know enough about the inner workings of the New Republic to understand any of this and how any of these characters are in any sort of like the whole concept of the New Republic government is very hazy to me. I know that there are like <laughs> council meetings and that's about it. I don't know if there's like is there any semblance of representative democracy? Like, I mean, at least we knew. Maybe with the new, with the older public, rather that 
that there was some right. sort of representative democracy. I mean, there was at least there's the Senate bodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it's very unclear. And maybe it's just because I've been uh, I've been following uh, Daniel's lead and getting obsessed with Babylon Five again. But like, <laughs> I kind I kind of like am looking to to this book to like have some sort of defined concept of not like map to real world politics, but you know, fake space politics. Yeah. Just some kind of broad idea of like, well, how exactly are these, who are the major factions, I guess. And why are the, why is it trouble to bring them together? You know, that's, that and I'm really not, and, I, and before anyone like starts, starts chirping at me, I'm not saying I want like prequel trilogy, like Chinese stereotypes talking about trade blockades and shit and tariffs. <laughs> right, because first of all, that's, wanna... the, that's the old republic. Yeah, I, I'm just... The only thing I'm asking for is I would like to see, like, a clear picture of, of like, what the chain of command for the new republic is. And, like, is it, like, sort of a... I mean, what kind of government system is it, broadly? Yeah. Because, well, I mean, you, uh, ben, Bernie Iblis makes some shitty remark about, like, oh, so I guess it's going to be a real republic, is it? It's like, Timothy, I don't think you know what a republic means. <laughs> yeah, you're throwing this word around, and it's, yeah. Let's say what you're looking for is, like, a, like a graphic from the, the eighth grade New Republic civics textbook, like, showing you the branches of government or something, right? Yeah, there's a there's a whole lot in here in this chapter about like uh, Bernie Iblis explaining away why he didn't he wasn't uh, a, well basically why he decided to stay independent as opposed to joining the Democrats. <laughs> and it comes right. down to like <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah, but he he actually sorry the, up... the alliance the alliance the, the, yeah the alliance Democrats. But he he cuts it off uh, eventually, like as you know, Lando's like, okay, security. Let's hear some of the other reasons, and then Bellops is, uh, is like, uh, uh, I'd be more than happy to do so when I feel the time is right for such a discussion. But you know, looking at his watch, I gotta go. <laughs> so, um, Bell Iblis saunters off, and Han and Lando kind of launch into it. Uh, Lando is expecting Han to chew him out for not polishing Bernie Iblis's boots, while Han shoots back that Lando was being a real jackass. <laughs> um, Cry words, words do, I think this is really well written relative to the rest of the book. This whole conversation between the two. Like, I think we've said before that uh, Zahn is pretty good at capturing the voices of Han and Lando. Yeah. And I think he lays out this, uh, both this, uh, this uh, friendship dispute between the two and also Lando's argument pretty well. So... Yeah, you know this this podcast isn't solely about shitting on a a Tampa Legends uh, <laughs> trilogy of masterworks. Right, we are also here to celebrate uh, a true South Florida legend uh, and on the literary scene. Um, yeah, but I think I think you're right that Lando has some pretty good some pretty good points, and I kind of summed them up in my notes here. That uh, he points out the site has clearly been operating for longer than half a year. There's, there's no creases on the fold-up buildings. Uh, there are clear signs of long-term occupation. 
Um, not least of which is that headquarters lounge they were just in because it's so full of a bunch. It's got like a, a dozen statues and, and light poles, and it's got an antique ship clock up on the wall, and you know, like the kind of arrangement you can't just carry off in five minutes. It all stinks to Lando, and he suspects that the whole operation might be an Empire honey trap. And Han kind of pushes back on that. They're like, well, you know, you're kind of they're taking a lot of chances to end up with us here like that seems pretty coincidental but but uh lando points out okay it's a honey trap but not for us but for failure to you know they, they could have set all this up with like finding a bell eblis lookalike um having all this set up crisis actors basically to uh to pretend i to was be thinking this, the uh, equivalent of uh john podesta opening up that fishing link <laughs> yes they're trying to get failure. They're trying to get failure to open up the fishing link. Thunder Dome, the, <laughs> the best Star Wars politics adjacent podcast of 2016. The only the only podcast that will draw one to one comparisons between uh, the Thrawn trilogy and the back half of 2016. But you were saying how Lando has some pretty good points, but. I will say that there's something really stupid that happened shortly thereafter, which is uh, Lando squatting down beside one of the chairs and peering at the edge of the seat cushion. Uh, experimentally, experimentally, he dug his fingers under the gray material. Looks like they didn't even add any extra padding before they reupholstered them with this, and then he broke it off. Abruptly, his face went rigid. What is it, Han demanded. Slowly, Lando turned to look up at him this chair he went why is he whispering <laughs> what why, why? He whispered it's not gray underneath it's blue gold okay Todd said frowning so you don't understand the fleet did, doesn't do the interiors of military ships in blue gold they've never done them in blue gold not under the empire not under the new republic not under the old republic except one time which was Lando took a deep breath the Katana fleet. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> like, this is just like, yeah, it's like that one year, the, the, uh, uh, that's the, the trim the base, package, the baseball team, uses <laughs> right. those terrible, terrible red, white, blue uniforms. I also love that. It's like, yeah, much, much like, um, bringing up that one year that the baseball team used those terrible uniforms in 1962. Uh, it's a, it got to be Han says it's got to be a mistake. No mistake, Han. Lando shook his head, digging his fingers harder. He lifted the edge of the gray covering high enough to show the material beneath it. I once spent two whole months researching the Dark Force. This is it. <laughs> everybody, everybody knows about the fucking Dark Force. Oh um, God! And, and this is like a seed planted to when we eventually find out that. Lando is uh, part of the LGBTQ community because it's like he knows a lot about reupholstery. <laughs> I'm just I think, saying. I, I think I think you're comparing him just very directly to a, a mutual friend of ours who is uh, in the LGBT community who knows a lot about furniture reupholstering. <laughs> or is that across he, the whole bunch? I don't know. All I'm saying is. The line of dialogue is I once spent two whole months researching the, the Dark, Dark Force. Force. And including that was part of the it. upholstery. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. That actually, I had I had it in my notes. But what I said, what I have here is 
the smoking gun that something fishy comes up in the funniest way possible. Read page three hundred and nine. <laughs> so we, we and I had exactly the same thoughts there. Um, and let's 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 remember that Timothy Zahn is about. Well, this came out in like what ninety one. Uh, I think ninety two. In, in ninety two yeah. standards, he was about thirty years behind in terms of uh, gay acceptance. <laughs> uh, the way he treats C-3PO so uh, I, Perhaps, I can totally yeah. see him being like uh, yeah that guy's really into reupholstering if you know what I mean if you know what I mean well as uh, as uh, as our friend Megan actually said in the in the chat just today Lando can't be the only pansexual in space that's <laughs> so, true <laughs> um, but yeah that's that's kind of the end of chapter 15 that they have their dun 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 moment they're going to try to get into one of the dreadnoughts. So they're going to hatch a scheme to get a code to, to get inside one of those ships and check it out and see if it really is. They're going to, they're going to see if it's painted, uh, if, it's, uh, 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 if it has low levels of interior lighting. Lando is going to use his interior decorating knowledge to determine whether it has the dark force lighting. And uh, they'll see what they got there. I'm going, I'm going to channel your idea of a Timothy Zahn note and say that Chapter 15, he just ran out of space to have Lando bring up the time that uh, Bell Iblis wrote the infamous rape essay. Oh, oh no. As evidence that he's shady. Uh-huh. But before we decamp from uh, like summarizing this <laughs> chapter in general, yeah, I, yeah. I just want to go back to like uh, when, when Han is countering uh, Lando, it's like, well, uh, Bell Iblis has been, like, hologrammed so many times, and there's, like, records of him, and, and like, and, and Lando just responds, yeah, but you're mainly operating off of memories, and I'm just thinking, like, yeah, I mean, all old guys do pretty much look the same. <laughs> That's true. You can you kind of swap them out a lot. The, eventually, you know, time takes its toll on cartilage, and everyone gets a little droopy, and it all kind of runs together. For sure. And I also like that in a a galaxy in which cloning is so commonplace, there was a literal war over it <laughs> that the the Empire or the Remnant or whatever would have to resort to just hiring an actor to pretend to be a dead senator. Yeah, yeah, like hiring a uh, the 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 Bill Gates impersonator on Nathan for You or something. No, no, this this guy isn't uh, Bell Iblis at all. It's his name is Vincent Fuchsia. It's <laughs> 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 gonna be Bell Iblis is gonna be Trump's running mate in twenty twenty four. Oh God! Okay, we got This is our last politics episode with Bernie Iblis. <laughs> all of our right wing fans are gonna be so pissed. Uh, all all of our liberal fans will be so pissed that we should just disrespect to the catastrophe of 2016. <laughs> anyway, and then and then, and then <laughs> there will be the Star Wars fans going. I don't I don't uh, interface with Star Wars to hear about the encroachment of fascism and the <laughs> and the, the failure of liberal democracy to to uh, to respond to it. I go <laughs> there to see. To see a werewolf man bigger with Harrison Ford while playing 3D chess with a gay robot. 
that's what I'm about. That's right, and that's the real heart of Star Wars. I think that's well. That's a good place to uh, to close out. I, I guess one thing I, I did want to say, I guess as a remark, kind of uh, all over, all around about this sort of section of the book, uh, you and I are in agreement that it feels like Timothy's got his sea legs back. It it read a lot better. Just everything just seems a higher point of quality than the last few chapters we read. I do think the whole rigmarole with the Nogri stuff that could have been one chapter. I really oh no, feel, I, I completely. I feel agree. very I strongly the, about this. <laughs> I think the Nogri in general is like the weak sister uh, subplot of the book. Yeah, it's but really I dragging. Think so so much has been improved just by having characters like meet each other for the first time and. Right. Like 450 pages. <laughs> yeah. If we're including the last book. Because, I mean, yeah, it's insane that it took half the trilogy for, like, Leia to be even adjacent to Grand Admiral Thrawn. Much less. Or for, or for Luke much less to for meet. George Cabayoth to finally yeah. meet Skywalker this late the, in the game. The thing, the thing that was teased within the first few chapters of the first book. And it took until halfway through the trilogy. Um, but anyway, this is we can, why we can... I kind of this is why I kind of hate like when when trilogies are planned out as trilogies because I can see the reason of like doing that because you can like uh, like really uh, like plot things out and like create theatric through lines, but it also leads to a lot of padding and it's a lot of like it's sort of like how Netflix TV shows feel less like actual discrete blocks of television and more like mm-hmm. just a 10 hour movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, and I, 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 I get that feeling with, I get that feeling a lot with, uh, this book, especially like it's just supposed to be the middle part of one big book as opposed to like a discrete entity unto itself, which right. is supposed to have its own, through lines and themes and so forth. Yeah, I, I mean, right now the the through lines and themes are uh, the Dark Force and Niles Farrier. <laughs> so those are the kind of. <laughs> the and big, when you're uh, hanging anything on Niles Farrier, you're in trouble. You're in you're in trouble. Well, we'll see where Tim goes with it. I think he's getting his mojo back. I think I think he's getting his groove back. We'll see. We'll we'll see where he takes it. But uh, until that time, of course, it is time to to put away childish things. And, I mean, most and... importantly, we're over halfway through the book because this, oh, yeah. this is only 29 chapters. Oh, that's right. We are over halfway. To... Congratulations to us. Uh... So anyway, before I, before I interrupt you yet again, let's, <laughs> let's go to the uh, Thronder Dome. Let's get, let's get serious for once. Let's get, Ronnie, if I, can I just ask that we get serious for goddamn once? Would that be, would that be such a crime? Because it's time to hash we've it. Been having, we've been having too much fun with this piece of shit tonight. We've been having too much fun. It's time to get real. It's time to get in each other's faces. It's time to get spitting mad, howling, just red in the face, cords in the neck standing out. It's time to have a knockdown, drag out fight in the Thronder Dome. But only with our words, because we are civilized people. That's right, everybody. We are moving on to the debate segment of the show, Into the Thronder Dome. Where uh, I, uh, your esteemed host, uh, Dr. Daniel Doughty, uh, stinking of flood water, will be <laughs> taking on uh, my erstwhile uh, uh, recap comrade and now enemy, Ronnie Gardaki, uh, to debate the issues of the ages. And uh, Ronnie, what's on the docket tonight? What are we doing? 
Well, uh, I don't know when Italian American Heritage Month is because I don't care, but it would be fortuitous if it were uh, May because we're doing Mario Mario versus Luigi Mario. <laughs> a uh, a classic, classic matchup. Uh, I think running for challenges. literally brother against brother, brother against brother. We're gonna be we're gonna be writing weepy uh, letters back to our loved ones while uh, a fiddle, some fiddle music plays. Um, but oh, hey, here, here's here's a fun connection with Star Wars. So that famous fiddle music from the Civil War documentary uh, is a song called "A Shoken Farewell." Uh, which was actually an improvised piece from a fiddler uh, camp out. They have like a big fiddle hoot nanny, and it was some some guy just started fiddling on his fiddle and came up with that little tune. It's not an old song at all. It's it's a recent one called Ashokan Farewell. Of course, uh, Ashoka is the great uh, 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 king of ancient India in the 300s BC, who united most of the subcontinent, and I think most importantly for us. The inspiration for the name Ahsoka, which I keep mispronouncing as Ashoka, but Ahsoka is, of course, a very popular Jedi character. Uh, so there's your connection with uh, Ken Burns' Civil War and Star Wars via an ancient Indian monarch. Um, but anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, Mario. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Mario. I pick Mario. Well, I guess you are the player one of this podcast, much as it... <laughs> Aggrieves me, indeed, indeed. But as always, as a as a gracious player one, I extend the courtesy of allowing my player two to go first. Here's my controversial statement: Mario is the Mickey Mouse of Nintendo. Because uh, think about it: what is Mario's personality? And you can't say something like, "Oh, he's Italian," or "He has a mustache." He doesn't have a personality. All he does is he runs courses in order to uh, rescue a woman who won't even put out for him. Uh, and, and, and otherwise, his, 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 uh, his character is defined by his jobs, like when he's a doctor or when he's in, in a, a sports car or when he's golfing or tennising or, or baseballing. He's a, he's basically a blank slate for care, for for uh, gamers to uh, see themselves. He, he, he there's nothing to him. Whereas by contrast, Luigi, he is overflowing with character. Sure, it's maybe not a, a positive set of character attributes because he's most notably a scaredy cat and a coward, but. Does not the fact that he's a naturally a coward and a scaredy cat make it all the more uh, impressive when he he uh, overcomes those those faults and uh, saves the day? And furthermore, uh, Mario Mario Mario, as far as I can tell, lives in a shabby uh, house in the Mushroom Kingdom. Luigi motherfucker inherited his own mansion that he's <laughs> that he's had three times. <laughs> also, uh, just from a gameplay standpoint, uh, Luigi is taller and he has a better jump than Mario. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, hmm. Uh, some good points in there, but I will counter you with this. 
It's not called Super Luigi Brothers, is it? Oh, is it? Is it not called Super Luigi yeah. Brothers? It's it's not called Luigi Kart, is it? It's not called Luigi Party, is it? No, it isn't. Well, I rest my case. Uh, well, I my case is the uh, Wii U game New Super Luigi U, in which the game is much tougher, in which you have to go through every uh, every level uh, in 99 seconds. Is that true? Yes, that's true. I can send oh. you a picture uh, <laughs> in chat right now. Please, please, D- Daniel, how dare you impugn my character to suggest that I would ever make up anything as important as fodder for a thro- into the Throtterdome argument. That, that is the most important thing that we have going on in our lives, that is for sure. Um... But yeah, no, I mean, I'm really, uh, as, I'm as, sending as you the we... picture now, uh, and you can see in the, the picture, it's Luigi riding the Yoshi while, uh, flanked mm. by a couple of toads, a piranha plant, a, mm-hmm. a pink Yoshi and a, a beloved, uh, thief character named Nabbit. <laughs> That's a, a new one on me, actually. Oh, they got a little lucky too up there in the in the top corner there as well. Um, wow, yeah. You know what though? I mean, I'm really. Uh, I don't see a uh, Super Luigi Galaxy. I don't see Doctor Luigi. I don't. No, see... you don't. You don't. But but here's here's a here's my counterpoint. Uh, the show Seinfeld, named after Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> Ask anyone who your favorite character is. Who's going to say Jerry? Nobody. He may be the glue, he may be the straw that stirs the drink, but he's nobody's favorite. And the same is true of Mario. People mm. love Luigi because he's a... Because he reflects the American character of the the coward that is afraid of the dark and afraid of ghosts and goblins that bedevil his, his uh, decrepit mansion that he inherited. But... Does he does he tuck tail and run away? No, he he atta- he attaches a vacuum cleaner to himself and sucks up ghosts. <laughs> oh, what, hey, what, does Mar- what does Mario do besides jump atop a little mushroom man and turtles? Which is uh, basically animal abuse. He cleans up the uh, the island of Delfino. Uh, and again, hey, that's another one. I don't see Super Luigi Sunshine anywhere. Hmm. Riddle me that. Yeah. So your argument is that because Mario is more popular, he's therefore better than Luigi. I mean, clearly. That's what being popular means, Ronnie. What What is wrong with you? Well, let me tell you about a little Austrian <laughs> painter who won a lot of popularity awards. In the <laughs> mid nineteen thirties and early nineteen forties in Germany, uh huh, uh-huh. he did he did win a lot of popularity awards. That's true. I might have to reconsider. Well, I think on that note, we'll before we get any stupider, we'll have to leave it for our listeners to decide who triumphed 
in this edition of Into the Thronder Dome. And with that, we also close out the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I feel like we had a we had a good time. We had a positive time on this one. Because the the the, write, the writing that we had to read was not nearly as bad as it has been. I, I feel like we're slipping into the Stockholm Syndrome again, honestly. <laughs> we're like any crumb well, is, this, is like mana my, in the wilderness. This may be my uh, recent stint of actually having health, healthy self-esteem talking. But I think this yeah. was a pretty damn good podcast with a fair number of laughs and some actual insights into the storytelling mechanics of this book and why things work and why they don't work. Yeah. And also I totally smoked you in the in the big segment. <laughs> as as always, so you like to think. But yeah, I agree. You know, there's something really everyone always asks me like, well, you know, if you don't actually like Star Wars, why are you devoting all this much time to it? And one, who asked you? And two, um because it's just really fun to dig deep on any kind of piece of art. It's just a lot of fun to just really dig deep and chat with your friends about it. Um, so that's one reason why I have such a good time doing the show. Um, also, like, cards on the table, there are much worse topics we could have uh, decided to do a podcast <laughs> about. Yeah, as, as we've, we've has of course, mentioned as kind of, uh, well, one of the inspirations for the show, really, uh, 327 pages we'll never get back, or 72? 372 pages we'll never get back. Yeah. Um, that is a real cavalcade of trash over there. Hey, including some George Lucas trash. They covered the Willow novel, uh, which was pretty astounding. And this one, honestly, is way better than that. Um, but, yeah, you're right. There's way worse things we Spe- could be Speaking of, I'm going to make on. a proclamation on the podcast in further ripping off of uh, Mike Nelson and Conor Stoka's fabulous podcast. We're going to say that for a bonus episode, we are going to be watching the Star Wars fan Film. Oh yeah, not, not a fan film, a a film about fans titled Fanboys. Yes, as a bonus, <clears throat> we will. Yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know what the timeline on that is because I have to figure up just how much I want to die and when. <clears throat> so we'll time that out. But anyway, until that time, we'll keep making this garbage. You'll keep listening to it because we're family here on Thronderdome, and uh, y'all have a good night. We'll see you next time. Like everything I love, this is all about found family. (laughs) Good night, Ronald. Good night, Daniel. (laughs) 